I'd love to open with a story, an interesting story. A book honestly could be written called The Adventures of the Army Corps of Engineers. They have done so many crazy things. And honestly, if I wrote the book, this would be chapter one. This is the one that I would tell first to get you flipping the pages. In the late 1800s, the uh, Army Corps of Engineers had this, this idea that they would cut these canals off of the Colorado River and they would route it into Southern California into an absolute dead, dry desert basin to irrigate because they believed that they could make it a fertile land for food production. So work began. They began digging these canals and they were uh, digging them in long stretches, putting dikes in, knocking them out. It would fill in behind them. And it was in 1905 that there was heavy, heavy rainfall, or excuse me, heavy, heavy snowfall, then a sudden snap spring and heavy rainfall. Uh, We had that happen here in the flood of 98, or was it 96? It was 96, wasn't it? And we almost washed Portland away. Um, It was like that, and the, the river flooded to a level that was unprecedented. And it spilled and broke through all of their dikes. It's, it went right through everything they dug. It bored its own hole and began to dump a huge amount of the Colorado River and all the flooding into a dry desert basin in Southern California. And it was dumping and dumping, and they tried to fill it. It took them three years to stop the leak. But in that three years, that once dead Valley Gulch turned into what today is called the Salton Sea. The Salton, like Salton, like an Arabic, like a... Persian king, a sultan. And so it filled in the, the whole basin. And for those three years it poured in, it didn't just pour water. It poured silt and algae and fish. And when those things came in, it, it brought in the minerals and the life-giving things that it needed to turn a dead valley green. Birds changed their flight patterns. They began to flock to the Salton Sea. They began to, to lay eggs there, live there. Fish teamed and bred to enormous numbers. They called it the miracle in the desert. And it didn't take long for tourists to figure it out. And I got a picture here. Here's some, here's some postcards of what they built around it. At the Salton Sea, the, the, the big one that everybody went to was called uh, Bombay Beach. And it was, it was a place where people would go water skiing, and it was so full of fish. Massive tourists uh, moved there. There was a, a town built there, homes built there. They built three schools. But what they did not know is that young lakes are unpredictable. The lakes we have, they've been here so long, they've created a a way of surviving, a biome that it's familiar with. But a young lake can change as it grows in. And so what happened is the water table always remained the same. The Colorado no longer flowed into it, but just enough creeks did to keep it the same level. It looked like it was fine, but as it evaporated, the salt became more and more and more dense until it was just like the Dead Sea in Israel. And if you look at this next picture here, all the fish died uh, in basically uh, just one month. Dead fish were washing up everywhere. And uh, if you think that the wharf at Newport smells bad and they bring the catch in, imagine that they're all dead and that they're baking in the heat. The stench was overwhelming and it drove everybody away. Today, the Salton Sea looks like this. It's an absolute ruined ghost waste town. Nobody, actually, I I looked it up in Atlas Obscura. I don't know if you guys ever read that book. Uh, Twelve people live there. I don't know who they are. They are holding out that the Salton Sea shall make its return. Twelve, wow. Um, But it's dead. All hope was on one thing. 
that life had suddenly appeared in a dead valley and people staked their entire business on it, moved in in droves, settled in. It all went to nothing because their hope turned out to be in nothing. It was misleading. What if our hope is in nothing? What if nothing happened Easter morning? The resurrection did not happen. That is the question that Paul asks in our passage today. A frightening question of of what would happen if Christ was not risen? If the very thing we celebrate today never happened? You see, some context to what's happening is there are people in the church in Corinth that are putting a leash on Christianity. They're, They're doing something I think we actually see a lot today. I find that it's hard to find people who hate Jesus. Most people feel like they actually like him, like, oh, he's a great teacher, but they don't maybe believe he he was born of a virgin, raised from the dead, or or they don't like his his, the the followers, they don't like Christians. That's that's people don't like us, that's popular. (laughs) But generally, I don't see people say they really hate this Jesus of Nazareth guy. But we put this uh, this leash on him. And this is happening then, that Christ was a great moral teacher and spiritual developer of his disciples and all people who listened to him. But he didn't really raise from the dead. And he was a moral teacher only. The the British author, C.S. Lewis, thought this was a ridiculous claim. He had a, a system that he would put it through called liar, lunatic, lord. He said that Jesus is either a liar or he's a lunatic or he's a lord because he made some extreme claims. He claimed uh, at one point to be omnipresent, that he was simultaneously in heaven in the presence of the Father while he was on earth. He claimed to be one, the same with God. He claimed to be the only way to God. He claimed that he would die and raise again. And so as we look at his teaching, as many people would, would quote him and respect him and say he's, he's a, he was a great guy, but Christians make too much of him, I don't think they're really reading what he said. Because you're honestly left with one of those three. He's a liar. He made it all up. He's a lunatic, or he's Lord. If he's a liar, you don't want to listen to what he's saying. You wouldn't, you wouldn't trust a liar's teaching. If he's a lunatic, I don't know how many of you take advice from a lunatic. Or he's the Lord of your life, and he is who he claimed to be. This is almost exactly the dichotomy that's happening to the, the church that we're going to read to today. It's the context of the letter. Many like Jesus' teaching, but few put their faith specifically in the resurrection. And that is just a critical mistake. The truth is, is that Christian hope is entirely invested in one thing Jesus did, his resurrection, his return to life. There's this misunderstanding. People say it so quickly that uh, we die and we go to heaven for eternity. And that concept of spending eternity in heaven is theologically hard to defend. It's not the immediate story told by Scripture. Uh, there's certainly an idea of being with the Lord before the resurrection. But the hope and what, what everyone speaks of when they write this is the resurrection in the end. That God would come back and raise his people. And he would reign on this earth. Because we, if we were to go to spend eternity simply in heaven, it means that we would have failed in our calling as humanity, called to to administrate and to send God out over this creation and to raise it up to be something that is beautiful to God and that it would be full and complete and beautiful. And justice is supposed to reign on this earth. If we spend time eternity forever in heaven, it's almost as if God were to say, you really failed, absolutely hardcore, it's over, 
you, you come shack up at my house. Come, come pitch a tent in the front yard. You can live with me. The idea is, is that Jesus finishes the calling with us coming and reigning and purifying. And it is true that the end times are vague and that there's a lot of open way of what that looks like. But the idea is, is that the resurrection was critical to the early church. When they write about it, when they talk about it, they're not just talking about some temporary thing or just Jesus raising from the dead. They're speaking specifically about the afterlife, eternity, and hope. Because in their perspective, those who died would rise up again on that day. Those who are still living would be transformed into a resurrected, new, recreated body. And King Jesus reigns over this earth. It administrates, purifies, it clears it. And our calling is fulfilled when it's made perfect and beautiful. And justice reigns over everything. And that is the hope that we have. And so as we read Paul today, we have to understand he's not talking about a small little point of just resurrection. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about hope. He's talking about life after death itself. And the resurrection gives us hope. Not just that there is life for us and those that we love that were in Christ when they died, but it gives us hope for this life right now. I've told this story a few times. So uh, if you've heard it before, especially if you're in youth group and you've heard it many times, Sorry, Natalia is, 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 she just hears all my stories a lot of times. I'm sorry, Natalia. Um, but I, it was, it's, it just illustrates the point so well. It was my friend's family. They brought in foster kids into their home. These kids came from an unbelievably dark, abusive home to where they, they went into the state because both their parents went and did time for, for murder. And when they got them in, the, in their home, the, the kids were very quiet, as you would expect, and they, they got Papa Murphy's pizza, because in the Northwest, that's how we say, I love you, a Papa Murphy's pizza. It's in the slogan, people, love it 425 degrees. That's a terrifying slogan. Um, for the record, your pizza can't love you back. Um, so they gave them love at 425 degrees. So the family, they have the pizza that night. And the next morning when they woke up, they woke up and the three kids they brought in from foster care, all siblings, were already in the kitchen, picking through the garbage can to get pizza crusts and eat them for breakfast. And uh, to hear my friend's mom tell it, it was just this, this shocking realization of what their lives were like. Mom and dad got money from a drug deal they did. They binged. They bought a whole bunch of takeout. Uh, they never cooked. When the food ran out, the kids had to pick it out of the trash what was left over. And so they, what was missing for these three little kids was this concept that there will be more. There will be more. In the Weaver household, there is breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and mom and dad will always make sure you have food, and that was completely foreign to them. There was an anxiety that those kids felt about the morning and what they were going to eat and the rest of the day what they were going to eat because they didn't understand what was coming. And as they learned what it was like to live in a safe home, that changed. What they lacked was an understanding of more to come. And I got to say, if there's no transient, no temporary way that we see this life, if we really think that this is, this is all there is, then the sad reality is this is as good as it gets right now. This is as good as it gets. Your health is as good as it'll be. Uh, your success, that's about all it's going to be. Some people make a lot of money. I think there's a lot of evidence that doesn't make them happy. The vast majority of us won't. I would love to see every place in the world, travel everywhere, have enough money that I'm not restricted to do what I want, but it's not going to happen for me. 
We're not in just this life, though. Knowing I will not die but live again makes it okay for me to accept the way that life is. You give up on an afterlife, you give up on resurrection, you give up on that hope, suddenly life becomes as good as it gets. And peace comes to us, not just about death, but because this isn't all there is and we have hope beyond it. You know, you could think of a, a road trip as a kid. And when I was a kid, I grew up in the 90s, so road trip was always in the minivan. So just translate minivan. If you're older than me, station wagon. I'm sure that's what you traveled in. And the, the road trip with kids, I mean, I'm one of five, so the road trips were not comfortable. It is elbows. It's fights over the armrest. Uh, we had a little TV that you could put a tiny VHS in that plugged into the cigarette lighter that always made you car sick because it was so small and you're looking down at it. It was humid all the time. Crank that AC up as high as you want. Five kids on a road trip, it's humid. And it always smells like gas and not the type that goes in the car. It's like, I'm talking toots. And it's a rough thing. But you get through the drive because you know where you're going. You know where you're headed, whether that is the beach, whether it's Disneyland. It's the fact that this isn't as good as it gets. You didn't just give up several days of your life to fight with your siblings for all that time. Soon you'll all be out. Mom says there's a pool at the hotel and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> it's the destination that really gives you hope in that car ride, makes it a little more palatable. It's not perfect. That ride's far from perfect. But we can tolerate it. Live with it, accept it. The resurrection isn't something we just live for, but in a sense, it's something we live in, isn't it? Because it's something that's coming that changes the way we see life now, makes us able to handle things even now. I want to start out by reading the first portion here. Where do I got my notes here? I got all spun around. Who cares? It's Easter Sunday. We're having fun. Let's go. All right, I believe we're, so go ahead and put it up there. Yes, 16, I knew it. Uh, for if the dead, this is Paul's scary question, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And those who also have fallen asleep, uh, old Christian way and actually a Jewish way of referring to death, uh, in Christ are lost. If uh, only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are above all else to be pitied because this is a group of people who have given up everything for this. Their, their lifestyle is different. Where their money goes is different. What they feel free to do, what they don't feel free to do is different. And if it's all just for the joy they get out of between now and when they die at the end of their life, it would be pitied above all else. He goes on to say, with great Easter emphaticism, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since uh, death came through a man, the resurrection uh, of the dead also comes through a man. For in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive again. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then he comes and those who belong to him. First fruits is, is a critical picture that we got to understand of the way that this promise works when we look at Jesus. 
First fruits is celebrated in the Old Testament. It's actually a reference to a festival that was instigated by God in Scripture. And it was the time when the first precocious plants, the grain, fruit, vegetables, the first ones that could be selectively harvested. I mean, you wouldn't send everybody out, but you could go and pick the ones that ripened first, would be picked. They'd be offered up at the tabernacle in worship. And the feast was given thanks for a very key purpose. The image was this with that holiday. It was given in thanks for the things that were to come, receiving that this is the first, this is the first sampling, this is the promise that our harvest will be full. And I find that's honestly how plants work. I grew up, we're in Oregon, blackberries everywhere, and I grew up in the country, so there's blackberry bushes everywhere. They're up on hills down below. They ripened all at different times. And I remember that uh, they also have first fruits. I love blackberries. I mean, honestly, blackberry jam beats any other jam any other day. Blackberry pie, there's no way you can convince me that's not the best pie. That is a king's pie. That is an amazing pie. I love blackberries. So we would go and we would, we would see them. And, and the one that got ripe first, you could, you could pick them and eat them. It was like, and where we lived, that was like late September because we were up kind of high. And you could tell generally how that plant would perform by those first ones that came up. You would go and, and if they were all equally ripe and it, it was sweet and it was just soft enough, just firm enough, you had an idea, this plant's a stunner. He's going to do a great job this year. But sometimes you would go, and it wasn't right. It was a little knobby. One side was ripe. The other one's all red and green and crunchy or died already, and you don't know what's going on, and you just know he's going to disappoint. That's not going to be a good one. Because the first fruit is a sampling of what the rest of the plant does produce, what it will be, what it's going to make. And this was the meaning of the holiday. We also celebrate Easter like the Feast of first fruits, knowing that Christ is a picture of what is to come. Because you see, the Apostle Paul is a genius, and the picture and his point is so clear. The resurrection is proof of what is to come, and we have to fix our eyes on Christ risen to remember the life that is to come and that our existence goes on to live in an ongoing reality that impacts my daily life, to know my existence will go on. living life in that perspective of eternity. You know, our, our, our temporary life, this, this life now, it opens far more when we know the promise of the life that is to come. We can say things like, if I die poor, if I die without recognition, if I become sick and die way too early, I know it won't be the end. I know that's not the, the shortness of the, the, the briefness of my existence that there is something more beyond this. If it disappoints, it won't rob me of joy because this short life is a road trip and not a destination. Just because the road trip sucked doesn't mean life was bad. This is why it says no one can steal our joy in Christ. As true for us in this country where we can live in our faith comfortably to those that live in places that are persecuted, you just can't take that hope away. Because when the hope is that at the end of all things, Christ will come, raise everything back up, bring complete justice to the life that was here, judging people for, for right doing and wrongdoing, bringing justice to everything that was, bringing life to what was lost, restoring everything. And then it doesn't really matter how the road trip goes. 
This life might be bad or difficult even for some people, but their existence isn't bad because they live forever with Christ. It is critical that we never think of Jesus as being a great moral teacher, simply a good guide, a really good author who wrote the greatest selling work of all time, but that we understand what he was and who he was. Yes, Christ was killed and resurrected on the third day, and that's critical to us. He is the first fruit of salvation, the picture and the promise of everything that is to come for you. Every other resurrection in Scripture is best described as a resuscitation. They died again. Lazarus is raised from the dead, but it's reversed for a moment. He's dead right now. The first resurrection, true resurrection of of the, the Old Testament promises spoken to the prophets that death will be defeated, not removed for a little bit, not pushed back for a few more years, but cut off from God's people, begins with Christ. He is the first, the first fruits. Easter matters because on this day, Christendom remembers a great truth, that Christ isn't a great teacher alone, but that he is the resurrected Lord and the first of all things that are to come. That we too will rise with him and live forever again. For us today, I've got two prayers for two different groups of people. For the saints sealed in blood until that day of resurrection, for those of us who believe, who call Jesus our Lord, I pray that as we remember today, we would remember that eternal perspective. And as we look at Christ, we would remember that promise to let us live this life like it's short and fleeting and understand that, to invest it well, to spend life wisely for the long existence that is to come, that we would live this life knowing that in, in, the, in the grand scheme of my existence, I will, go, I will live great and far, and this will be a small portion of it. It doesn't mean it's, in, it's, it's not important. It is the crucible point of human existence when we make critical decisions. And for those of us that live with this idea of ongoing promises, where we're going to go, that we would live with an idea that we would invest ourselves in the things that matter into the eternal life that really matters. We're also going to take a moment to pray for others today who uh, you don't count yourself as one of those belonging to Christ. You haven't made a commitment to say he is Lord. I haven't decided what I make up the three L's, liar, lunatic, or Lord, and you want to give your life to Christ today. You want to start a new thing today. That... Uh, As it says, all who are in Adam are destined for death. And that is all of us, all who belong to the human race. But not all are in Christ. There is a call for us to go and to answer that call and to say, yes, I don't want to be just attached to the first. I want to be attached to the next. To make a choice to be in Christ. Because those who are in Christ inherit something from him just as potent and just as powerful, just as much as Adam's choice was far outside of your control. Christ gives you a gift that's also outside of your control as you choose to be in him, to follow him, and to make him your Lord. And that gift is a gift of resurrected eternal life. He has risen. And one day, as sure as he lives, we will rise with him also. I want to pray for us. God, I pray that you would convict 
um, your people in this room, those who follow you, God, and that you would heal even. In the ways that, that we keep living like this is it, that the point of my life is to, to build a retirement, pay off the mortgage, or to make a name for myself. But Lord, that we could feel that great freedom that this crummy road trip isn't it, that it goes far beyond, that we are investing this for that, and that our existence will go on and on and on. Lord, I pray for your people in this room that are disappointed with life, that they feel like they are, they're failing, and they feel like they're already past their prime and fizzling out, disappearing into shadow. Lord, you know them. Their name is written, and you have made a great promise with them that this isn't as good as it gets, that there is more, that you've seen the ways they've invested themselves. You've seen the ways that they have served others in your name. You've counted it all, and this is not as good as it gets. Lord, I pray that we could live so much more than having other people say to us, hey, great job, and that we'd live instead to hear your voice in eternity say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're in this room and you want to make that decision today to follow Christ, I want to pray for you, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a declaration of faith. And if that's who I want you to raise your hand, I'm not going to call you up. You can stay where you are, but I want you to put your hand up and put it back down. I'm going to pray for all of us in here making that decision. So if that's you, go ahead. Well, Lord, we just... Uh, we ask that all those convicted to join your king, that feel that call to join your kingdom, they feel the light, they feel the hope, they feel the promise, that as they say yes right now, your redemption would be theirs. God, I pray that they would feel the cleansing of conscience, the filling of your spirit warring around them. Lord, I pray that as this week goes on, it'd be like layer after layer after layer breaking off their mind of how they see their own life themselves, that it would be recast in the eternal forge of who they really are with you. May destinies be changed today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.